so good to see you. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here at Mission Church, and we are continuing a series today called One City at a Time. One City at a Time. We're actually going through the book of Ephesians, and just a little quick recap. Ephesians was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He is writing this particular letter actually from a prison cell. He's in prison, and he's writing to a church in a metropolitan city called Ephesus. It's actually the first mega church in the ancient world, and the letter is so profound. It is so beautifully written and communicated. The first three chapters really, you could say, focus on theology. So in other words, what we actually believe as followers of Jesus, what Jesus has in fact accomplished for us. And then the second three chapters of Ephesians focus on what you could call ethics. In other words, how we actually live out our theology, how we actually live out what we believe. And we are kind of transitioning now into this latter half of the book. In fact, we're going to zoom in on Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. If you're taking notice of the title of my message is Walk Like Jesus, Walk Like Jesus. We're going to read 16 verses together. We're going to read 16 verses together, so track with me, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive right into the message. Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, chapter uh, 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covenantness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that is visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Abba, Father, we just want to say thank you again for the beautiful, beautiful opportunity to be in your presence, to come to church. I pray that you would open up our eyes so that we could see the glory of God, that we would open up our ears so that we could hear the voice of God, that you would open up our lives so that we could be transformed by the word of God this morning. We love you so much in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, our senior pastor, uh, Tyler Johnson, was actually my youth pastor in Olympia, Washington. And I'll never forget the first time I met him. It was actually at a summer camp. I had just finished my seventh grade year. So we have like mad history. We go way back. Okay. And I was at this summer camp and my youth pastor at the time, I was driving up an hour to go to his youth group. His name was Chad Veach. And so he introduced me to this guy named Tyler. I'd never met him before. He was wearing these super baggy Jordan shorts with like Air Force Ones. And I still remember his shirt. It was like this universe. University of Washington basketball shirt with the sleeves cut off. I just remember looking up at him and being like, dang, you cool, you know? And he invited me to come to his youth ministry, and I showed up. I think I was the seventh kid in his youth ministry. And God did some really cool things. It was so sweet. But I immediately looked up to him. 
So much so that I actually began to dress like him. Yeah, good luck picturing that right now, okay? But I mean, I would wear like the Jordan shorts down to my ankles. I started ripping off all the sleeves to all my athletic shirts, buying Nikes all the time. I mean, I was in it. I loved it. But it was because I looked up to Tyler so much. And then halfway through my sophomore year in high school, he moved down to L.A. And I kind of transitioned, went to a different youth ministry. And the youth pastor there was super preppy, you could say. Like, really preppy. So thus began my preppy phase, okay? I mean, I like, I, I, everything Hollister, Abercrombie. In fact, I went back to my mom's house last Christmas and was looking at the wall. She has like this huge collage of all the pictures of her children. And I saw the picture. It's the most embarrassing picture of myself I've ever seen in my entire life. It's my senior picture, okay? And I just want you to picture this with me. It's so bad, okay? This is transparency. This is real. And I, I, I'm sitting down holding the scriptures because even in high school, man, I love Jesus. So I'm holding the scriptures, holding my Bible. It's this bright green Bible, okay? And then I'm wearing these tight Abercrombie skinny jeans. I'm wearing a pink Lacoste polo. I have a blue sweater vest on top of it. And check it out, Ugg boots, okay? Don't hate me. Don't judge me. It's church, okay? But that was Caleb in high school. I mean, God, forgive me. What was I doing? Oh my gosh, you know? And still today, I have people that I consider my swag coaches, you know, my swag coaches. People I look to for inspiration. Will Twickerson Jr., he's a pastor in Miami. Uh, Todd Weinberg, who actually goes to our church. I don't know if you're here, but I see you always. I'm taking notes, okay? I'm taking notes. But I say all of this to communicate one simple point is that we emulate those we venerate. We emulate those we venerate. When we look up to somebody, then we inherently begin to adopt the characteristics, mannerisms, or worldview of that particular somebody. We may dress like them, we may talk like them, we may think like them, we may create like them, we may do business like them. Whatever it may be in our respective context, we emulate those we venerate. And the scriptures say, above all, above anybody else, imitate God. Venerate him, emulate him, adopt his character and his mindset and his perspective. Make Jesus your primary example in all things. Walk like Jesus, walk like Jesus. It's surprising to me how many times the word walk is actually found in this short letter, the book of Ephesians. In fact, on six different occasions, we find this Greek word, peripateo, all right? And this, this Greek word, it means this. It means to literally to move or to make one's way. And I think there's something very symbolic and powerful about that. We are all on a journey. We are all trying to find our way, if you will. One pastor, his name's Ern McManus, he put it this way, we are all hypocrites in transition. And I love that. We are all hypocrites in transition. I think the sooner that we can admit that, the better off we are. Because the goal of our faith is progress. It is growth. It is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every single day. And yet peripateo doesn't just have a philosophical, symbolic meaning. It also has a very practical meaning, a very applicable meaning, which entails how we are to conduct ourselves in this life how we are to actually regulate our lives with Christ at the center, how we are to walk like Jesus. And it's this particular idea that I'd actually like to expound upon today. In fact, I really believe that if we're going to imitate Christ, if we're going to be imitators of God, if we're going to walk like Jesus, we got to do three things that we find in Ephesians chapter 5. The first thing is we got to walk in love. The second, we got to walk in light. And the third thing, we need to walk in life. So let's begin with the first. Let's begin with the first. We need to walk in love. Walk in love. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You guys remember the uh, Disney movie Tangled? 
Anyone seen Tangled? I actually rewatched it this week just to, it was message prep. It was great, okay? Uh, but it's about this princess named Rapunzel, and she has magical power in her hair. And in the first scene of the movie, we see that she's actually stolen away by this evil lady who wants to basically manipulate her power to keep herself young forever, all right? And so she locks Rapunzel up in this tower and basically lies to her and says that everything outside this tower wants to harm you and is dangerous for you. And so Rapunzel basically spends the first part of her life believing believing that lie that everything wants to hurt her and, that, and not actually knowing who she truly is. Her identity is actually concealed from her. And so, of course, the whole like, premise of the movie is her discovering who she actually is, that she's a princess, a daughter of the king, and she learns how to walk in that reality. I know it may sound a bit cheesy or a bit cliche, so just bear with me, but I think one of the enemy's greatest strategies is to keep us locked in this tower of self-doubt and unaware of who we actually are in Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it's so incredible to me that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul immediately, I don't know if you notice this, he immediately gives us this starting point where everything begins. He says, as beloved children, before he dives into the ethics of the Christian life, before he gets into the specifics of how we are supposed to actually walk like Jesus, he says, as beloved children, he gives us a starting point. We are to operate in the context of being a child of God. My, my hero, the uh, German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, all are called to be what in the reality of God we are already. I'm going to say that again because I want it to really stick with us this morning. All are called to be what in the reality of God they are already. You see, regardless of where you stand in relationship to God this morning, regardless of where you stand in relationship to others or maybe even yourself this morning, you need to know a few things. You are already loved. You are already accepted. You are already delighted in. You are already royal blood. You are already God's son. You are already God's daughter. You are already chosen to do something beautiful and unique and extraordinary with your life. We have to believe that. But Paul not only provides us with this starting point saying, as beloved children, he also provides us with a standard. He says, as Christ loved us. I flew down to Palm Springs a few weeks ago to hang out with my best friend and I got onto the plane and sat down, and we were flying United, so you'd like reserve your seats. And so it was that moment when I'm just sitting down, wondering who's going to come and sit next to me, like who I'm going to actually be next to for the few, you know, the next few hours of my life. And, and I'll just be real. This is me just being transparent. In my mind, I'm just praying, like, Lord, let that person just be normal. Like, please let them be normal. Like, let them be an introvert even. Like, oh, Lord, how cool would that be if they just had their AirPods already in and didn't even acknowledge my existence? I would love that, you know I mean? I I'm just praying these kind of terrible prayers in my, in my mind. And this lady comes, she sits next to me. We're off to a great start because all she says is hello. And I say hello very politely and that's it, okay? She falls asleep, closes her eyes. I open up my book. Everything's going well. Until about halfway through the flight, she takes off her shoes, all right? Now, again, that in itself, not super weird. I've done it before too on a long day, okay? But then she stoops down one more time and takes off her socks. And that's when I got a little whiff, just to be honest, if you know what I mean. I was like... Oh, Lord. <laughs> and, and I was like, you, you got to be kidding me. And then she does the unthinkable. She actually takes her bare feet and like curls up in a ball, puts her bare feet on the seat. And I'm looking at my leg and looking at her bare foot. And there's like a half a centimeter in between us. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like you crossed the line. You know, I was like, I was cool to give a little bit of grace because I'm a Christian. But now this is like too far. And so I did a very... Uh, 
uh, very Christian thing, and I, I gave her like the nastiest look that I could like muster. You know, I'm just like, you, I wanted to communicate my disgust, you know, my repulsion. Like, how dare you? Get your feet off of this seat now. Do not touch my skinny jeans. You know, it was, it was that kind of moment, right? And, uh, and so I, I, I hold the look for a little bit just so it really sinks in. You could see she's starting to squirm and feeling really awkward, and I was like, mission accomplished. And then I, 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 I go back to my book, which ironically is a biography on the great reformer and theologian Martin Luther, and I was reading a chapter about how well he loved people. <laughs> and, I, and so my heart sinks a little bit. And then this is me being super transparent. I know Pastor Tyler is going to listen to this at the gym tomorrow, so I'm sorry for this. But then I look at my sweatshirt, and I notice I'm wearing Mission Church on it. <laughs> and I was just, I was devastated. I was like, oh, I, I really messed up, you know. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, though, I start to justify it. I'm like, she's being annoying. She was being gross. It was her fault. She deserved that look. I mean, those are the kind of things that I'm telling myself, but I could not get away from a very simple reality that Jesus did not tell me to match my neighbor's level of love. Jesus did not tell me to match my spouse's level of love. Jesus did not teach me or tell me to match my children's level of love. No, what has he told us to do? To match his level of love. You see, as beloved children, love as Christ loved us. I'm going to say that again. As beloved children love, as Christ loved us. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to do the same for the brothers and sisters. You see, we ought to be generous because Christ is generous. We ought to actually give respect to people because that's actually how Christ operates. We are to sacrifice because Christ is actually sacrificed for us in the ultimate way. We are to love everybody because Jesus loves us so much. You see, Jesus' love is both our starting point as beloved children, and it is our standard as Christ loves us. Now, as we continue to read Ephesians 5, Paul seems to take a turn somewhat suddenly, okay? I don't know if you noticed it, but in verse 3, the vibe shifts just a little bit. He says, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, I have to admit, even as I was like studying for this message, these verses aren't my favorite to preach. I didn't really even want to make them in the message, but I could not escape their importance and how necessary they are. Because in them, Paul tells us essentially to guard against two things that actually have the power and the potential to hinder our ability to walk in love and ultimately to walk like Jesus. And so the first thing that we actually are really told from these two verses, the first thing that we pick up is that we need to guard our hearts. We guard our hearts. We guard our hearts. I was a youth pastor for over six years, and most of my meetings were actually uh, with students about how to live and walk and operate in purity. I can't even count the number of times I got the question, how far is too far? And, uh, and then my other like, question that I got a lot from kids was, why does God make such a big deal about lust? Like, why? And maybe you've wondered about it. But I think Rich Wilkerson Jr., one of my swag coaches, uh, he, I think he communicates it so well. He answers this so eloquently. He says, lust is about what you can take. Love is about what you can give. Lust is about what you can take. Love is about what you can give. You see, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world, all of us, that he actually gave his one and only son. You see, Jesus stepped into human history to give, not to take, to actually reveal to us what real and true love actually is. But on the other hand, lust is the act of taking something that does not belong to us. 
You see, lust teaches us to treat people as objects, and love teaches us to treat people as sons and daughters of God. Lust teaches us to treat people as if they exist to satisfy our own desires, and love teaches us to ask the question, how can I actually serve that person better today? You see, that's why at its core, lust is actually a heart issue. It's not an eye issue. And that's why Jesus goes to such great lengths to say all over Scripture, guard your heart. Guard your heart. In fact, at one point he actually says, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. I mean, that's pretty intense. And obviously he's not speaking literally, saying that we have to do this. What he's saying very practically is remove whatever is tempting you. Remove whatever that obstacle is. Remove whatever is hindering your ability to actually walk in love and thus walk in Jesus. Get rid of it. It's not worth having in your life. If, if somebody is constantly making a pass at you in the office, just change up your daily routine so you don't actually have to see them as much. If somebody who is not your spouse is starting to flirt with you on Facebook, for the love of God, just delete your Facebook. If you're a young person and Snapchat is just too much, get rid of Snapchat. It's, that is what Jesus is saying. Remove whatever it is that is tempting you. Do whatever you need to do. Just guard your heart. And I'll say one more thing on the topic, too, because I think it's so necessary. You'll never overcome temptation, whatever the temptation is, by just trying harder. You won't. You absolutely, you'll just end up super discouraged and walking in guilt and shame, man. You will only overcome temptation by filling up your life with the love of God, with the presence of God, with the community of God. You see, love is actually what overcomes lust. Love is actually what gives you the power to walk in purity. So when we make the love of God our focus, man, guarding our heart becomes even easier. We gotta guard our hearts. But then the next thing that Paul actually says is we gotta guard our mouths. We've got to guard our mouths. You see, in verse 4, I don't think Paul is actually communicating that we can't ever make a joke. In fact, when you read this particular verse in the Greek, it's pretty clear that what he's actually saying is, don't make a joke at the expense of someone else. At the expense of someone else. And that's pretty congruent with Scripture. In fact, Proverbs 18 says this, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. You see, your words have the power to destroy, to obliterate someone's confidence, to actually ruin their day, to actually create a wound and an insecurity. But your words also have the power to build up, to create something beautiful, to give somebody hope and courage, to champion someone in the pursuit of their dreams, to actually push them closer towards the faith, hope, and love that are found in Jesus Christ. One of my mentors, he's a pastor and theologian named A.J. Sabota. He wrote the following in a book regarding the first chapter of Genesis, regarding God's creative acts. He said this. He said, there was nothing, then there were words, then there was everything. What a cool way to communicate it. What a profound way to state the importance and the power that's actually in our mouths, in our words, on our tongues. You see, it's so incredible to me that walking in love so often is as simple as just talking in love. It really is. And that's why Paul even says earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building others up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, we guard our hearts, we guard our mouths, and if we can do those things, man, we're going to be able to, as beloved children, love as Christ loved us. We have to walk in love. We have to walk in love. Here's the second thing. If we're going to walk like Jesus, we have to walk in love, and we have to walk in light. We have to walk in light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, we already read it, but it says this, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Do you notice the verbiage that scripture uses here? I think it's so intentional. It's so intentional. Paul does not say, at one time you were in darkness, and now you are in light. Paul doesn't even write it as a command saying you must now be 
the light. No, what does he say? He says very directly and intentionally, you were darkness, now you are light. You see, we have to understand something. Light is not a tool that we use. It's not an instrument we play. It's not a power we wield. It's not even a spiritual gift. Light is actually who we are. When we say yes to following Jesus, ontologically, man, we are light. That's what Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous message that he ever preached. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says this, you are, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, as followers of Jesus, we have the power to actually bring light into even the darkest of situations. In chaos, we can bring peace. In worry, we can bring faith. In hate, we can bring love. In stress and anxiety, we can bring joy. In fear, we can bring hope. We can literally change the atmosphere in the room because we are the light of the world. Because we are the light of the world. When when you walk into my room, I have three different lights. Three different lights. And they all have different levels of light. Okay, I have my night light that's like always on. So if I need to get up in the middle of the night, get a glass of water or something... I don't trip and fall flat on my face, okay? That nightlight never goes off. It's pretty dim, so I can fall asleep easily without even thinking about it. And then I have the next level of light, and that's my little lamp, okay? I have a lamp, and and I love to read uh, when I go to sleep and and kind of wind down in that way. And so this lamp is on, and usually I turn it off, but even if I forget, it's dim enough that I can actually still fall asleep, but it's also bright enough that I can read my book. And then I have this third light. I have this third light. It's just the overhead light. I'm pretty sure those are in every single house here in California, okay? But as soon as you flip the switch, boom, the entire room is lit. doesn't matter what time of night it is. It doesn't matter how dark outside is. The entire room is filled with light. And I was thinking about this the other day, and I I noticed that I think this represents people in the church. And I'm about to get really, really real and really honest with you. But it represents people in the church. All of us are light. We are. If we have Jesus inside of our lives, we all have light. But check this out. Our intimacy with God will determine the intensity of our light. Our intimacy with God will determine the intensity of our light. You see, you're not going to exude much light if you never spend time with God. You're just not. You're not going to have much substance to actually offer the world if you never spend time in the scriptures. In fact, your joy and your peace and your love and your faith will probably not be very consistent if you never devote any time to prayer. You see, the more that we look to Jesus, the more that we will walk like Jesus and the greater our light will be. Can I hear an amen, church? Come on. Paul continues, and he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, he says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. This is a very misunderstood verse. I like to talk about it here for a second. When I graduated high school, I immediately moved down to Los Angeles, and partly because I grew up in Seattle. My senior year in high school, no exaggeration, uh, 300 consecutive days of rain. I was so depressed that literally the second I graduated, I'm moving to L.A. Sorry, parents. Sorry, mom and dad. Okay? And so I jet down to L.A., and I actually started working with Tyler. He was down there at the time, so he hired me at the church he was at. I was going to university as well. And, and so uh, we were at the church one day. We decided to go out to lunch. Another pastor was actually with us. His name's 
name's James Hager. He actually preached here a few months ago, and we all worked together. So we, we got to this Mediterranean place. We get back in the car. I'm driving, and we start driving through L.A., and there was this intersection, and it was just such a busy intersection. I mean, it's in the middle of the day, so it's just chaos, and it was one of those moments when the light, you're still at that kind of awkward distance away from it, and it turns yellow, and you have two options, man. You either just floor it, and you go for it, or you slam on the brakes and make everyone in your car feel uncomfortable. I mean, it really is a loss, loss, if you know what I mean, okay? And so for me, I'm like, I might as well just gun it. I'm in LA, who cares, you know? And so I, I, I gas my Buick LeSabre, by the way. It didn't, it didn't go very fast, but it went, okay? And so we're, we're going through the intersection, and it was a terrible, terrible moment where I look to my right, and I see this cop, and he's in the turn lane, and I just died inside. I was like, I'm doomed. Like, oh my gosh. So I start freaking out. I'm literally like panicking. I'm like, I'm going to get a ticket. I'm going to get a ticket. I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do. And Tyler's like, dude, just drive, bro. Just drive. Like, maybe he didn't see you. I was like, no, he for sure saw me. We made eye contact. That moment lasted forever, you know? I was like, I am getting a ticket today. I mean, I'm sweating. And, and so I, I actually, no joke, no exaggeration, I pull myself over. The, the cop... <laughs> The cop hasn't even turned yet. I mean, I'm like, I'm literally freaking out that badly. I'm like, I'm getting a ticket. I'm getting a ticket. I'm just going to own it. I'm guilty. I'm guilty, judge. And so I pull the car over, and the, the, the cop car turns, and no joke, he, 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 he drives right past me, by the way, okay? And we make eye contact for a little bit. He just smirks. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is the greatest policeman ever, you know? <laughs> Like, just ever. Like, I, I, I have a theory, okay? Here's my theory. He knew that I knew that I did something bad, okay? And he gave me grace because of it, and I'm just so thankful for it. But this is the tie-in. Man, the world doesn't need another person to tell it how bad it is. It doesn't. It doesn't need another crooked finger pointed at it. It doesn't need another judge, another critic, another spiritual policeman who is trying to pull it over for misbehavior. You know what it needs? It needs people who will infuse it with the hope of Jesus. It needs people who will infuse it with the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. It needs people who understand and operate as if they truly are the light of the world. You see, too many Christians are, spend all their time criticizing the darkness. Can I tell you what? We expose the darkness by being the light. That's it. We expose the darkness by simply being the light. Light doesn't condemn darkness. Light doesn't announce its own presence. Light just enters into the room and it changes the atmosphere. I love what one author, his name's Bob Goff, in his latest book, Everybody Always, he says this. He says, everybody has an opinion. Be an example. Man, in our day and age where social media is like king, and everybody has an opinion on everything. Can I just be real with you? Jesus doesn't tell you to express every single opinion that comes to your mind. He doesn't. Please don't, okay? You know what he tells you to do? To be an example of his love. To go be light in the world. Man, if we become, if we understand that we already are, and we start to operate actually in that context of being loved by God and actually being the light of the world, oh man, we're going to make such a difference in this world. You see, if we're going to walk like Jesus, we have to walk in love, and then we walk in light. And here's my last point. We walk in life. We walk in life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, Awake, O sleeper, awake, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity, is what one translation says, or the best use of your time. 
You see, some of us need to actually wake up to realize that Jesus didn't die so that we could drudge through a meaningless or monotonous existence. He died so that we could have purpose. He died so that we could have passion. He died so that we could spend our lives creating something that lasts, building something that matters. He died so that we could live life to the fullest. That's what the scriptures say in John 10.10. One of my favorite stories in the scripture, it's a parable, and it's told by Jesus. It's the, the story of the talents. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. You can read it later. I'm just going to summarize it for us. But it's about this master, or if you want to put it into modern-day equivalents, it's kind of like this very successful business person, okay? But this master goes on this trip, but before he goes on the trip, he entrusts his monetary funds to three of his servants. To one servant, he actually gives five talents, now, a lot of us, if we grow up in church, we, maybe we picture a talent as like a coin or like a really big coin, like a $1 kind of thing, but that's not it at all. In fact, scholars actually teach us that a talent is actually a weight. It's 33 kilograms or our equivalent, 75 pounds. And so if we just put this in perspective real quickly, okay, in modern day terms, the international price of gold sold for $41,000 per kilogram. So if you do the math, one talent, one talent in our day and age is equivalent to $1,400,000. This is a ton of money we're talking about in this story. $1,400,000, one talent. And so this master, he entrusts to three of his servants uh, different levels of talents. To one, he gives five talents, okay, $7 million. To another, he gives two talents. And then finally, to another servant, he gives one talent. And the story goes that the guy with five talents invests them wisely and uses them well and actually makes seven more talents. So now he's rolling. He's got 14 mil in the bank. And then another, the servant with two talents, he does the exact same thing where he doubles the amount given to him. But what's so interesting is the servant that was entrusted with one talent, which again is $1,400,000. It's not some light, you know, petty kind of amount. That's a ton of money. But what he does is he takes that talent and he buries it in the ground and he does nothing with it. It's so interesting because I've probably read this story about a hundred times. And every time I read it, I'm always like, oh Lord, I want to be the guy with five talents. Like entrust me with a lot. I don't even want to be the dude with two talents. I definitely don't want to be the guy with one talent. I always pity the guy who's like, who's the guy with one talent, you know? Um, and, I mean, that's just the way that I guess I've read the story. And yet this last time reading through it, I saw it in a new light. Because the reality is uh, we all matter so much to the Lord. We all are so special, so called. We're all on that same level in his eyes, man. He loves us all so much. And yet, what if, what if this story has kind of another meaning, another, uh, another profound perspective? You see, some moments in our lives are extraordinary and amazing and beautiful. They're like five talent moments. The moments you fall in love, the moments you get married, the moments you have a kid, the moment you meet one of your heroes in life, the moments that you, you start your dream job or you are given this opportunity that's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of gig. Those are the five talent moments in our lives. And man, if I will be real, those are easy to steward. Those are easy to steward. Why? Because they're so special. They're so out of the blue. We're like, oh, I'm going to give this everything I've got. This is a five talent moment. And then other moments come along and they're the two talent moments in our lives. They're still special. They're just a little bit more common. You know, maybe it's a date night, or maybe it's a, a seminar that you host, or maybe it's a presentation that you give at work, or maybe it's a, a deal that you close, or maybe it's just doing something fun that kind of fills your tank and, and, and gives you passion. Those are the two moment talents. And, and those are easy to steward too. Why? Because we, we see their value. Oh man, but this is what I'm learning, man, is that life is a series of one talent moments. It's a series of one talent moments. And I found that the one talent moments are actually the hardest to steward. 
You see, so often we actually miss their significance and we end up doing what the servant does in the story and we end up burying them as unimportant. A couple years ago, I went down to uh, Newport Beach. I cashed in all of my credit card points that I had been saving up, stayed at this nice resort called the Pelican Hill, and I was just, I was pumped. I had like this, this room, it was on the 18th hole of the golf course, it was overlooking the water. I mean, I was like living the life, and at the time too, I was in full-time seminary, and so I was drinking like 12 cups of coffee a day, and I'm down to five now, so thank you for your prayers and your support, okay? Um, but so I, I have this huge, tall, like, cup of coffee in my hand, and I, I'm, I walk out on the balcony, and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I have to Instagram this. I'm going to get at least a couple hundred likes. I mean, I was just pumped, right? And so I pull out my iPhone and, and I start taking pictures of this view that's just gorgeous. It's just pristine. It's unreal. And I don't realize that I'm still holding my cup of coffee and doing this. And all of a sudden my chest starts to feel a little warm. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. I mean, I guess it's 80 degrees outside. And then it started to burn though. Like actually like it hurt. And I was like, what is going on? I looked down, there was coffee all over my shirt. Like just everywhere. I spilt this entire cup of coffee. As I'm taking all these pictures of everything that's before me, man, the thing right in front of me is just destroying me. Man, I was so lost with what was before me that I neglected what was right in front of me. And how often do we do the same thing? Man, our kids just want to hang out with us and want to play with us. And we can't get off email or we can't stop playing a game on our iPhones like Bejeweled or something. We can't get off Facebook. We're, 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 we're so caught up with what's before us that we're missing what's in front of us. Or, or maybe our spouse or our significant other wants to have a conversation with us, wants to connect with us, wants to go on a date. And we're still thinking about what happened five days ago. Or, or maybe, how about this one? God, the, the, the creator of the cosmos. The God who gave his life for you just wants to hang out with you, just wants to spend time with you. And you're like, ah, I'm just, you know, I'd, I'd rather watch Netflix. Man, we miss the one talent moments so often in our lives. And yet the one talent moments add up and they make us who we actually are. Man, you see, we will walk in life when we begin to walk in the intentionality of the moment, of understanding that the five talent moments have irreplaceable value, and so do the two talent moments, and so do the one talent moments. All of them comprise our lives. All of them have irreplaceable value to the Lord. Man, I want to spend my life in such a way that, that Jesus is able to say what he said to those servants that actually spent their money wisely. In Matthew chapter 25, he said this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Now I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of my master. If we're going to walk like Jesus, we have to do three things. We have to walk in love. We have to. As beloved children, love as Christ loved us. Man, if we're going to walk like Jesus, we have to walk in light to understand that our intimacy with God will determine the intensity of our light. The more we spend time with Jesus, the brighter our light will be. And we have to walk in life. Understanding every moment, every breath is a gift. It is grace. And let's go make the most of it. Let's walk like Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning?